is Louis Porras, and welcome to another edition of Kingsnake.com's web radio. People have sometimes asked me, hey, what is it we have to do to land a spot on the show? Well, you know, it's really pretty simple. All you have to do is send me an email. You can send it to webradio at onlinehobbyist.com. Repeat that, webradio at onlinehobbyist.com. And if you happen to have a topic to talk about that you think would be of interest to our listeners, you know, I'd love to have you on board. And, uh, you know, this is precisely what happened with this week's interview. Some time ago, I received an email from Jordan Pearson, who is 15 years old, and he keeps about 50 reptiles. And Jordan asked me if uh, I could interview one of his favorite herp experts, Kevin Dunn of Dragon's Den Herpeticulture. Jordan called uh, Kevin the king of beardies, and he asked me that we specifically talk about bearded dragons since Kevin is involved with breeding so many different phases. So, Jordan, uh, I really appreciate that, and uh, thank you very much for the tip. Because of your email today, we have Kevin on the line, and we're here to talk not only about bearded dragons, but about other aspects uh, of his business, uh, Dragon's Den Herpeticulture in Hermosa Beach, California. So, Kevin, how are you doing today, and how's business? Good, Louie. How's it going? Hey, things are going great. Well, listen, before we get to talking about uh, Bearded, uh, first of all, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and, and maybe something about Dragon's Den. All right. Well, first I want to say thanks to Jordan. I, I think I've spoken to him several times on the telephone. <laughs> Seems like a good kid. Yeah, he sure does. <laughs> I'm a 38-year-old kid living in Southern California with uh, my wife, Vanessa, and I have two young children. And... Uh, I've been into reptiles for pretty much as long as I can remember. Some of my first memories are playing with iguanas in Mexico, pet iguanas or pet snakes here and there. Uh, it's just been a part of my life, and I'm lucky enough to have been able to kind of put that into a business, I guess. And now, do you operate the business by yourself, or do you have employees? I have one employee, Sean, who helps me out. He works full-time and uh, pretty much takes care of the bearded dragons, and then my wife, Vanessa, helps me do the office work, and I pretty much do uh, a lot of both. Now, uh, besides that bearded dragon, what other kind of reptiles do you breed? Um, I've got a pretty decent gecko room, and I have um, kind of an obsession with weird and, and neat colored geckos. I've got some really nice leopard geckos. I've gotten into some of the patternless albino leopard geckos and some of the really bright tangerine leopard geckos that you see on Kingsnake quite often now. Also, some different fat tail gecko morphs that I'm kind of excited about. I have a, some neat piebald fat tails that I'm working with um, that I can't wait to show everybody. Basically, if something weird comes along, I'll, I'll see if I think I can take care of it. If I can afford it, I'll get it. Uh -huh. Do you have any oddball species of geckos? Or? I, I'm working with the, the underwoodosaurus. I really like those. Uh -huh. like the milli. Those are really neat and really easy to take care of gecko. Easy to reproduce also. I can't believe they haven't caught on. And uh, the spiny tail geckos from Australia, those are really neat too, and they're, they're fairly easy to, to breed. And uh, Are those uh, Diplodactylus? Yeah, the Diplodactylus ciliaris. Those are a neat, neat gecko, and they have pretty much variation in the color. They're an interesting lizard to work with. Do you have any kind of guarantee with the animals that you sell? Oh, yeah, I guarantee everything I sell. Not only that it'll get, get where it's going in perfect shape, but also I don't have a set time, but people call me a few months down the road and if you know the lizard dies for no reason i'll just replace it i don't think there's ever a time when someone's called haven't replaced it uh let's turn our attention over to bearded dragon uh, how long have you been working with bearded i think i've been working with bearded for maybe nine or ten years now i guess for people to understand a little more about bearded let's uh maybe first of all talk a little bit about their natural history uh now where are bearded from mostly in the warmer uh, regions of australia 
And is there more than one species? Oh yeah, there's, uh, I think we're up to seven or eight uh, subspecies now, I guess, ranging anywhere from the little tiny uh, Rankin's dragon, which is the, the little dwarf version, all the way up to the uh, Barbata is the big one. And what is the most common one in captivity? The Pagoda viticeps is the inland bearded drag that the majority of the people have as pets. And these guys, uh, what kind of habitat do they come from? They come from the arid uh, deserts of Australia, and uh, if you're going to keep them here, you need to try and duplicate that and keep them nice and hot and dry. As far as, like, bearded uh, in captivity, especially in the U.S., is there anything that you can tell us about uh, the history of how all these populations came about here in this country? At least from my experience, which is within the last 10 years or so, I think prior to 10 years, very few people knew what a bearded dragon was. And then, uh, you know, the first people to really introduce bearded dragons on a, if you want to say, a wholesale level, I think maybe Pete and Phyllis Wise and Bob Mayhew of Sandfire, those two people are, at least in my mind, are the two people that pretty much are responsible for really getting bearded dragons up and running in the United States and, and also for making people realize that they could breed them on their own. For a long time, there was these smaller ones that you mentioned, the Rankin's dragons. Is there anything you can tell us about those? Yeah, you know, I, I've never worked with them. I know they're a dwarf or a smaller form of the bearded dragon. Uh, from what I understand, they get to about half the size of the uh, viticeps, or the what we call the normal inland bearded dragon. But I think they're a very similar requirement to keep them. I just don't too many of them too often. Bearders, um, they become extremely popular lizards in, in captivity. But, you know, even after all the years that I was in the reptile business, I didn't realize exactly how popular they were until I read an article in, uh, it was a September 1999 issue of Pet Age magazine. Pet Age, of course, is, is perhaps the largest of all the pet trade magazines. And in that issue, there was an article that estimated that about a half a million bearders are bred in captivity in the U.S. each year. Now, this floored me. You know, I never realized that they would be that popular. Uh, do you think this number is, is accurate, or, or do you think it's um, kind of a, a little bit too high? Or maybe perhaps from your position as a major bearded dragon breeder, can you t what can you tell me? Are, are these animals really that popular? I, I know they're popular. Um, I don't know anything as far as numbers, but, but I'll tell you one thing. I, I probably produced somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 3,000 babies last year, and I think that not a whole lot compared to some people. I mean, I know there's breeders out there that produce 10 and 15,000 probably, but I don't know how many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's still large numbers of beard. Is I know there's a, lot of them. there's a lot of them out there. I know that. Hey, listen, uh, the time has come for us to go ahead and take a, a quick break here. Uh, we need to hear from one of our sponsors. So as soon as you get back, we'll continue our discussion about bearded dragons. This episode of Kingsnake.com Web Radio is brought to you by OnlineHobbyist.com, the leader in online advertising solutions for the pet industry. And by Triple L Reptile and Supply. Triple L Reptile and Supply is dedicated to bringing you top quality service, great selection, and low prices. Stop by their website at LLLReptile.com. We're back. Uh, this is Louis Porras, and you're listening to Kingsnake.com's web radio. Uh, today we're visiting with Kevin Dunn of Dragon's Den Herpetoculture, and when we left off, we were starting to discuss bearded dragons in captivity, and especially some large numbers that are being produced. As far as people who, who keep bearded dragons, who should keep them? And what are some of the, the recommendations that, that you would give to a person who wants to, to keep a lizard, and specifically a bearded? I think anybody who's going to take on the task of keeping a lizard, a bearded dragon is just a great pet. They do require daily maintenance. So it wouldn't be a good idea for someone that's going to be out of town for several days at a time frequently. You can get away with going out of town on a vacation, and there's things you can do to make your bearded dragon do just fine. Um, but really, they do need daily feeding and daily cleaning to keep up on top of things. And how big do beards get? Oh, well, I, I would say a good average would be 
in the 18 to 20 inch range. The biggest ones I've seen have been 23 inches, and, and I hear stories of animals that are over two feet. I'd sure like to see pictures of them if anyone's out there got one. Now, when people get them, do they require uh, a quarantine period? A quarantine period is always a good idea if you've got other reptiles. I am guilty of not following that fairly often, but uh, if you're going to introduce animals into a collection, it's, it's certainly wise to quarantine them for a, a month or more. Now, how about handling bearded's? Um, is it, is this a type of an animal that, say, uh, a person can handle? Oh, absolutely. They're awesome pet lizards. They're very, very calm. They don't seem to mind being handled at all. Again, they need to have their environment where they spend most of their time, but they sure don't seem to mind being picked up and, you know, played around with or taken outside in the sun and, and uh, sitting on their owner's shoulder. They're quite happy with that, it seems. Uh, to sex a bearded dragon, how do you do that? I've tried to use all the different methods that are out there, size of the head and the thickness of the tail and the black beard and the bobbing of the head and all that, but I've actually seen females do all those things that the males are supposed to do too. So the only way that I think you can honestly say you have a male is by confirming the evidence of the hemipenes at the base of the tail, and likewise, that's the only way you can confirm you don't have a male is if you don't have those. Would the, uh, the males and females get along? Oh yeah, males and females get along well. And the females don't mind being housed with other females. And actually, in, in a lot of cases, I have males that are housed with other males. You just really need to watch them when you put males together and you introduce a female because there will be some fighting in, in competition. And how about like larger specimens and smaller ones? I wouldn't advise putting larger and smaller specimens together, even if the larger animal is really nice and mellow and the, could be the best lizard world, the smaller lizard won't know that and it will be intimidated and it probably won't eat and bask when it should and venture out where it should. What is the preferred way that you set them up there at Dragon's Den? Well, what I try to do, and this is for a breeding aspect, is I try to provide as little furniture inside the cage as possible and utilize all my space for what I need. And basically, I, uh, I use sand for a substrate, basically. I give them a nice, hot basking spot. I recommend 115 to 120 degrees. The only thing that you want to ensure is in reaching that hot spot, you don't want the light to be so hot or the heat source to be so hot that the opposite end is warm also. You want that to remain below 85 degrees, I'd say. Yeah, you mentioned sand as a substrate. Uh, is there any specific type of sand or, or just any kind of sand you're using? or? Well, I think any of the sands on the market will probably work fine. I, I just prefer to go to Home Depot and get a big bag of play sand because I have to go through so much of it. I'm throwing it out every day. I get washed play sand, and I use a good amount of clean sand frequently. Okay. Now, I know that uh, some sands, like uh, some silica sands that have jagged edges, uh, are kind of bad for, for leopard geckos. I just wonder for bearded dragons if you've had any experiences like that, you know? Yeah, I really haven't had any bad experiences with sand, although I have heard the horror stories. I'm not a vet, and I don't have any medical experience, really, with animals. But it seems to me that an animal that's born in the sand and, and spends its life in the sand in the wild shouldn't have too much of a problem with sand in captivity, in captivity. Unless, unless there's something else wrong. I think when they get clogged up with sand, there's an underlying problem that's allowing something as small as sand to clog them up. Now, you mentioned temperature in a hot spot. How about just ambient temperature for the cage? What should that be, more or less? It can fluctuate. My cages get pretty cool in the nights, especially in the winter here. It, it can get down to the high 50s sometimes. As long as I have a nice warm spot for them, it, it doesn't seem to matter. When it is going to get that cold, I make sure that, that there's a warm spot on all night. If it stays 65 to 70, that's fine. Um, and then, of course, it get, gets warmer in the days. In the daytime. The heat of the day, yeah. And what about lighting requirements? I recommend a good form of UV light, either the commercial brands in the pet
pet stores that most of the pet stores will sell, or you know, some sort of a good combination. There's a new bulb now that have the UV and the heat in one. I've used a few of them, and I think they work well. I just don't know. You know, I haven't used them for long enough to make a recommendation for or against. Now, you mentioned uh, that they come from an arid environment. How about their, their water requirements, their humidity requirements? Yeah, they do. They come from a real dry area, and, and I've heard people say, I've never had the opportunity to observe them in the wild, but I've heard people say that they could go their whole lives without ever seeing water. I give them a water bowl, and they learn really quickly. Within a week of coming out of the egg, they're drinking out of a little water dish. Uh-huh. And when they see me pour it in, and I try to make it splash around a little bit and get their attention, and a lot of times they'll just run over and start drinking right away. Now, what about their diet? In the wild, I'm sure they're opportunistic feeders, and in that they eat anything they have the opportunity to eat. <laughs> in captivity, they eat um, cricket, mealworms, superworms, any kind of bugs that you can get in the commercial breeders from the commercial uh, bug breeders. Also, there's some pelleted food that's out now that a lot of people are having success with. I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard it works well. They also eat a good amount of vegetative matter. They'll eat flowers and different types of uh, leafy greens hibiscus and dandelions, dandelions, kale, collard greens. I, I just try to mix it up so they don't eat just one thing day after day, and that way they should get a mixture of different vitamins. Now, how about uh, pinky mice? I've never had luck with feeding them pinky mice because they just seem to bite them and drop them for me. But I, I know people that swear by them. I think that it's a big gob of protein, that's for sure, for a lizard that doesn't get a whole lot of exercise in captivity. So I wouldn't be feeding them every day or, or even every week, I wouldn't recommend. Hey, and what about uh, vitamin supplementation? And what kind of, do you do that? And uh, anything you can recommend along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I use a multivitamin once a week, and then I use a good form of a calcium and mineral supplement, and I dust my crickets at least one feeding every day for the lizards. I, I'll usually do it the first feeding in the morning so they'll eat the majority of the crickets that go in there. And if I put a nice big cup full of crickets, I'll just put a, a few shakes of calcium in there and cover my hand over it and shake them all up and, you know, shake and bake them and chuck them in there. And I really coat them liberally and I do it every day. Uh-huh. As far as breeding, how old do bearders have to be to breed? Well, I've had eggs from bearded dragons that were seven months old and I've had little, tiny little bearded dragons lay 20 eggs just, you know, amazing that that many eggs can come out of a tiny lizard, but I think it's better if, if you can grow them up first till they're at least a year old before you start breeding them. I think one of the things that happens is when they start producing eggs, they often stop growing. So you'll have little tiny females that are, that are laying 15 and 20 eggs when you could have bigger females that are laying 30 and 35 eggs. Now, how long do the eggs take to hatch? Use, I think I have them hatching at about 65 days or so. My incubator is at about right around 84 degrees, 83 and a half to 84 degrees. Oh, or how old do these guys get? Some of the first beards I got from Pete Weiss uh, from Weiss Reptiles, and I've still got them. That was, must have been nine or ten years ago. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, <laughs> that's actually my famous German giant, the one that laid the 68-egg clutch. Ooh! We call it, we call it a terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of a bearded laying that many eggs. <laughs> yeah, it's a surprise. Yeah, I guess uh, you're producing different colors or phases or morphs, right? Yeah, uh, I'm trying. What kind of things are you doing today? I mean, what, what do you specialize in? Well, uh, I, I actually try to do a little bit of everything and, and try to get a nice, you know, I'd like to have a nice red, a nice yellow, a nice orange dragon. One of the newest things that's really exciting is the leucistic, or what we're calling leucistic bearded dragons. Um, which is actually a amelanistic form of a bearded dragon, basically. They're beautiful white lizards with crystal clear fingernails and, and just not barely a trace of pigment on them anywhere. Do they have red eyes? or They don't have red eyes. They have just normal-looking eyes. Those black pupils really stand out against a solid white lizard, I'll uh, tell you. <laughs> uh, any other uh, morphs that you're working with? Or? I'm working with a, what I call the blood dragon, which is kind of a more of a red 
Bearded Dragon. Um, I'm, I've got a good group of the Sandfires from Bob Mayhew's Sandfire Dragon Ranch that he's, you know, famous for those bright orange beardeds. I'm working with those. I've got some really nice yellow animals that I'm uh, just trying to get to breed. And I've got the snow dragons and the hypomelanistic dragons, which are really, really neat. I'm really excited with those because they seem to lighten anything I breed them with. If I breed them to my red-bearded dragons, I'll get red-bearded dragons with virtually no brown or black anywhere, and it just makes the color stand out so much more. Hey, hey, where do you see the market with these guys going? I'll tell you, I'm busier now than I've ever been. I hope it'll last. It sure seems like uh, there's more and more interest every day. Well, that's great. Well, Kevin, thank you. We're about to run out of time here. I want to thank you for coming on board with us here today. Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, all right. Listen, for anyone uh, wanting to get in touch with Kevin, you can you can email him at uh, dden at gte.net. You can also check out uh, the Dragon's Den website at uh, www.dragonsdenherp.com uh, or you can call Kevin at uh, 310-970-1393. Uh, for kingsnake.com, this is Louis Porras. I'm signing off until the next time, bidding you once again a fond and cordial farewell.